first of all, thank you for being here. I'm really excited to be able to speak and uh, just hopefully bless you guys. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. So I feel like the Lord uh, asked me to preach about kind of the relationship that we have with ourselves. You know, we have a relationship with God, we have a relationship with other people, and we talk about that a lot. Sometimes it's not as common to talk about, like, the relationship that we actually have with ourselves because we have a body, spirit, and soul. Those three, you know, things can have a relationship with each other. Um, and so as I was doing research to kind of prepare and uh, obviously reading the Bible a lot and seeing what God had to say about loving yourself um, and having a relationship with yourself, I typed in self-love on the Internet, which don't, don't do that. Not because of any sort of sexual reason, but actually because um, there was an overwhelming number of articles about how self-love is a trap from, like, the devil. Like, very uh, religious, you know, like, very hard articles about if you love yourself, you're going to fall into the trap of pride and arrogance. And, and, you're, and it's like, and everything, like, literally articles all the way down until, like, the second or third page was negative towards self-love. There wasn't anything about, except for this new AG post that was something about the stars in the sky. Um, so, uh, you know, I didn't click on that one. But, um, so I think that caused that, that fear of, like, loving yourself leads to the trap of pride and arrogance has left a lot of people confused. And I don't think it's as talked about a subject as it should be. So, here we are. So the only problem with that, of not loving yourself and just pretending like we can love God and we can love others, and then at the end, if there's anything left over, I'll love myself, is that, you know, people say that the world is filled with prideful people, especially like people my age. A lot of people would say, I don't think this, but I, a lot of people would say they're self-centered people. Everything is about themselves, like the selfie generation. It's all about me and what I'm good at and what I like and what is good about me. But I feel like the problem with, with ignoring that they need to love themselves and just say, hey, don't be prideful, is that self-love is actually the answer because they're not, they're not actually filled with rage and confidence. They're actually shining a light on the good parts that they like about themselves, and they're covering up most of themselves, which they actually don't accept, and they actually reject. So we reject most of ourselves, but then we shine a light on this, and we say, oh, it's, you're so selfish and prideful. You need, to, you, know, you need to stop loving yourself so much. But in reality... 70% of me is hidden that you don't know about, that I don't want anybody to know about, but that part needs the love of God. And, and self-love is like, in these people's minds, like self-love is like the wrong answer, like the opposite answer. But in reality, it's like, that's the, that's the enemy. Self-love is the answer. So um, I'll stop saying self-love because it put a bad taste in my mouth about that. Loving yourself, having a relationship with yourself, um, and accepting, accepting who God made you to be. So loving yourself and um, not loving yourself, whatever kind of relationship you have, will always project onto those that you interact with. So it's impossible for me to interact with you in a way that I don't, it doesn't first come from me, right? So with all that in mind, uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to get rolling. I think it's going to be really good. Um, so keep in mind, though, that if you go too far, there is, you know, the truth is here, God is here. Pride and arrogance over there, obviously, we know that. And then we're going to talk about false humility, which is over there. We want to be right here, so don't take what I say and take it all the way over there. Go right here, okay? I just wanted to do that. I almost thought about not preaching about this because, like, the overwhelming amount of, like, seriously, it's a trap, but the Lord wanted me to. Okay, so what are the consequences of having a poor relationship with yourself? One of, the, one of the main ones that I feel like God highlighted to me is that it's actually like it has a crippling and silencing effect. And that is like really scary. And that's what the Lord said to me. It has a crippling and silencing effect. If I have a bad relationship with myself, 
I shy away from those like faith-based steps that actually lead me to life in my destiny, right? We've been talking about destiny quite a bit. I'm going to trip on these chairs. I, I just know it, so I'm going to scoot that forward. Um, so faith-based steps and taking risk, that leads me to my life, right? You don't really live until you cross the chicken line. You guys heard that statement? So life is across that line. If I am insecure about myself or if I have a bad relationship with myself, I don't cross that line because I'm crippled and I'm silenced. Does that make sense? So we miss moments that are essential for, be, for, for becoming who we are supposed to be. And obviously there's a long process about becoming who you're supposed to be, becoming who you're called to be. But there's, there are also moments like what we might know as kairos moments where like God has something in store for you. And one of the scariest things to think about is what if I'm crippled and silenced and I don't take advantage of one of those kairos moments. And it's not that God can't reconcile you because he can, but it's obviously not God's first choice. And we're, um, we're going to see that later. God has a first choice, which is you for your destiny. And then also God has other choices, which he doesn't want to have to do. So we're going to talk about Exodus 4, 10 through 14. So you guys go there, Exodus 4, 10 through 14. It's up there. So I'm going to give a preface to what's going on here. Um, we're not going to go super deep into the kind of what's going on before this. But basically, Moses is uh, being called by God to lead the people out of slavery right? The burning bush. We know that story. So God came in this burning bush. It's not burning up. It stays there. So that's the first sign. That's like, okay, God is here. He hears the audible voice of God. So, okay, it's probably God, right? It's probably not like my imagination. I hear the audible voice of God. There's a fiery bush. And in the process of this conversation, God says three times to Moses, I need you to do this, basically. Like, I've called you to do this. And Moses says no every single time. Include, and like, and, and there's a, his staff, you know, he throws it on the ground, it becomes a snake, and then he picks it back up, and it's a staff again, and he puts his hand in his jacket, and it withers, and then he puts it back, and it's good, it's like clean. So there's plenty of signs, okay, God is here, God's with me, and God says over and over, I'm going to be with you, go and do this, I'm going to be with you. He promises it, he gives him signs, he gives him wonders, like, God doesn't always do that for us. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, oh, he's always clear. He always clear. He always backs up what he says. But it's not always that obvious. Like, there's not always a snake and a withered hand and the burning bush and the audible voice of God. Like, I think if God said anything to me and with those contexts, I would say any, anything. I'll do anything. Like, yes, just yes. Like, just yes. But we pick this up here. Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. In this other verse, it's like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm not eloquent. It's like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you started talking to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach what you speak, teach you what to speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, oh, God, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees blah, blah, blah. It's like there's a burning bush, Moses. There's, there's the audible voice of God. There's the hand. There's the snake and the staff. Like, how are you going to oppose God to his face? Literally. It's the face of God, the presence. And Moses opposes him to his face. And I know Moses is a really amazing guy, so I'm not here to villainize Moses. But we do need to learn a lesson here because this is a big, big failure. And I know it doesn't, like, it doesn't seem like it affects a whole lot because he still gets to be a part of leading the Israelites out of, the, out of slavery. And he still gets to raise his staff over the Red Sea and see them pass through. But, 
But we have to be real with ourselves and say that there was an essential part of Moses' destiny that he missed out on. That was Moses' calling, to speak to Pharaoh, to use his weakness. God was going to shine in Moses' weakness, and, and that's how the, the Israelites were going to be set free. And God had to settle for something else. I don't want to make God settle for anything else. You know, and I got to thinking, like, what are the, what are the errands in my life? Like, what is my errand? Like, what am I going to say, like, God, I can't do it. Let them do it. You know, if we get to heaven one day, this is, like, really heartbreaking. If we get to heaven one day, or if we get to heaven, when we get to heaven one day, hopefully we get to heaven. If we get there, when we get there, you know, we're going to need to look back on our life. Imagine how heartbreaking it would be if God was trying to tell us something, but we, we pawned it off as not right now or for someone else or somebody else more qualified can do that or, you know, I don't know if, I'm gonna, I don't know if that's for right now, but God is confirming his word and he's saying, no, this is for you. This is for you right now. And it's like, God, I'm weak in that area. You know, there's plenty of people around me that are way more qualified, but God's saying, no, I want you. I want, I want you. You're my first choice. You're my very first choice. And we say, no, I, no, I can't do it. And so God's like, all right, like, I will use somebody else. Like, I'll do it another way. That would be heartbreaking, right, to find out that we, we missed out on an essential part of our destiny in heaven. That's, that's a scary thought to me. Um, so don't, don't, don't use an errand. Know what God is saying to you. That's the first point. You know, we have to be self-aware. And in, in this, like, relationship with ourselves, we can't have these things floating around that, yeah, that might be God, that might not be God. I don't really know. I'm gonna, I'll figure it out later. Like, that's not acceptable. First of all, we have to know what God is saying, and then we have to decide how we're going to respond to that, which should be a resounding yes, God. I'll do anything you want, even if I'm weak in that area. So there are areas that we struggle with, and it's hard to want to be used in those areas because we want to cover those areas up, like I talked about. We want to shine the light on our strengths and cover up our weaknesses, but that's actually oftentimes not how God works, and um, usually the opposite of how God works. He has placed these weaknesses in our lives, um, in our lives to actually be seen through our weakness. And uh, I was listening to a sermon recently, and it was so good. He was talking about, off, you know, strengths finders and, like, all the personality tests, which I love those, and we've done those. We love those. Um, it's like oftentimes, like, if we look at actually what happens in people's lives, it's like, what are your weaknesses? Because that's probably where God is going to use you the most. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you not good at naturally? Because God will probably, you know, throw you into that area. You know what I mean? Like, for me, communicating is, like, like, not one of my strengths. But here I am. You know what I mean? I'm going to say yes. And so it's so important to know and to be self-aware. What are the, strength, what are the strengths in my life and what are my weaknesses? Both of those two things are, are who I am, not my strengths only. You know, it's, like, it's not like my strengths are who I am and my weaknesses are, are not who I am. Like, I'm working on those. They're going to get better. It's like, no, everything that is inside of you is from God, right? You were created in his image. And for the record, I'm not talking about, like, a moral failure, like, sin issues. I'm talking about, like, who you are. Like, you're not good at, you know, maybe you're not very smart. Maybe you're not very good looking. You know what I mean? Things like that. Those things. <laughs> maybe God is going to use you to be a beauty model. You never know. I'm kidding. <clears throat> so, God wants to use you in your strength as well as your weakness. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story about this that I just think drives this home. Um, so you guys know Chris Valentin. Uh He's the associate senior leader at Bethel and Reading. And um, he, ha he tells this story over and over again throughout his podcast and things like that and in his books. Um, and I'm going to tell it the way he tells it, just so we're clear. So there's a school nearby that uses his books for their, um, like, ministry uh, program or, like, you know, their ministry school. 
And the chancellor of that school called Chris, and he said, Chris, I want to give you an earned doctorate. Chris is like, wow, that's amazing. He says, all I need is a thesis. And Chris didn't even know what a thesis was. So he Googled it real quick, and he figured out what a thesis was. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, let's do it. And, he's, and the chancellor said, yeah, okay, we'll graduate you in the summer, which is like six months away. So we'll get, we'll, and Chris is like, I just wrote this book about empowering women. We could kind of re, reformat it, and that could be my thesis. And he's like, yeah, great, that's perfect. So Chris and his assistant started getting to work on this, and they're like two or three months down the road, and he thinks he's going to have an earned doctorate, which is amazing. That's like a really big deal. And he's laying in bed one night, and he says that God, out of the blue, he wasn't really talking or thinking. He just kind of, God said, hey, I heard you were getting an earned doctorate. And Chris said, uh, yeah, yeah. And God said, you didn't ask me about that. And Chris said, can I get an earned doctorate? God said, no. And Chris is like, why? And God said, because you are a sign of what I can do with weakness. If you have letters behind your name, people will think that you can actually do this, and we both know you can't. But this is like, this is how God works. Chris, you know, he's not known for being like, when in his childhood, all of his stepfathers called him dumb, and he didn't do well in school, and like, that was his thing. He wasn't smart. He wasn't a smart guy. He was really good with cars, but he wasn't smart. And so God is like, or he's, he's thinking, I'm going to get an earned doctorate. People think I'm smart, you know? But it's like, it's a sign. His life is a lighthouse to those who may feel like they're not very smart, or a tree of life, you could say, and like, other people get to feed on that victory, and that personal breakthrough he had of like, becoming, he's actually a brilliant thinker, and he's one of the smartest guys I've ever heard of, like, deploying the kingdom of God on earth. He's brilliant. He's honestly brilliant. And his story is a lighthouse to people that also feel like, I'm not smart. I'm not naturally smart. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a lighthouse. It's something for us to feed off of. And it's like, every single thing in your life that is a struggle, not sin. I'm not talking about sin, but sometimes that too. But most of the time, like, your essential part of who you are that you're not good at, those things are a setup from God to become a corporate breakthrough. So if we cover those up, we are literally stealing away God's glory, like very, very much so. If we cover up our weaknesses and we portray our strengths, we're saying to God, I don't want to have a corporate breakthrough because I'm, not, I'm too selfish, self-centered, to actually give up my, the ability for people to see my weaknesses so that you can shine in those areas of life. Everyone, everybody on the same board with that? Am I talking too fast? Okay, get excited. Okay, we're going to play a game. It's called Godly Confidence or False Humility. So there's going to be uh, a thought on the screen. And it's either going to stem, so every thought either comes all the way back from love or from fear, right? So either, either a thought is love or it's fear. This isn't necessarily about truth. It's about the, the, the root of what this thought comes from. So we're going to put some thoughts up on the screen, and then you guys are going to yell out, either godly confidence or false humility. And that way we're going to help define what the difference is because sometimes we have a lot of thought about ourselves, a lot of thoughts about ourselves, and they can, be, uh, they can seem really good, but often they're clothed in fear or they're, they're fear clothed in false humility. And it seems really spiritual, but actually the root is fear. So, Drew, let's get the first one up there. I love myself. Godly confidence. Ding, 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 ding. Great. It is so important to love yourself. The Bible says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So that implies right there, I can't love my neighbor without loving myself. And if I love me to a low degree, I'm going to love you to a low degree. That's not God's will. I need to love myself to a very high degree so I can love you to a very high degree too. Make sense? What's next, Drew? It wasn't me. It was God. Some of these are kind of hard. 
so obviously, there, sometimes God is going to come take over something, and it's going to be totally God. But most of the time when we hear people say this, like, they just got done singing an amazing song. It's like, wow, that was amazing. It was God. It wasn't me. Like, no, sister, that was you. You know what I'm saying? If it was God, it would have been better. But that was really good, too. Seriously, if it was God, it would have been better. But that was amazing. Oftentimes, the, the root of that thought is going to be false humility. What's next, Drew? God will use me when I, and you can fill in the blank, when I do this or when I make that or when I have a doctorate or when I do this. Let me hear it. False humility. Awesome. Great job. God wants to engage you exactly where you're at. No matter where you're at in your life and your struggles with whatever, God wants to start engaging you right there. That doesn't mean to not grow and not become more holy and more righteous and go towards him, but God wants to start the engagement exactly wherever you're at. Next one. God doesn't need me. That's the easy one. False humility. So this is one of those ones. It's actually true to a certain extent. God doesn't actually need me. But oftentimes, if I'm going to say that, the root of that thought is not going to be love. It's going to be false humility. And so it might be true. Yeah, yeah, God doesn't need me. Sorry, I'm like way, way ahead of my notes. Okay, that's great. God doesn't need me. But what does that do for me? It just lets me off the hook. Less responsibility, yeah, that's awesome. God doesn't need me. God will do it. Okay. I'm going to give an example of that one I feel like God wanted me to give. So when there is a movement of healing in like a place or like a nation or a place or a church even, more people pray for healing, right? So like for all you numbers people, more people pray for healing, more people get healed, yes? Historically, that's accurate. More people pray for healing, more people actually get healed, right? Did God's opinion about healing ever change from Jesus' death to the end of our time? So it never changes, right? So what's the difference? Is that we decided to partner with him and we took up our responsibility to actually portray his kingdom on earth and deploy his kingdom on earth. That's what makes it different in the earth. God's love for us and God's desire to heal us has not changed, okay? I don't know why I did the finger. All right, next one, Drew. I wish I had like a vein of white or something up here. Someone more qualified will do that. With one voice. Excellent. False humility. So if you find yourself in a situation as crazy as that situation may be, it's actually because God has placed you there and given you the grace and the resources to bring the kingdom into that situation. And so I thought, like, what's the craziest situation? Okay, if I find myself in the president's office, no matter who's president, it's like, oh, like, there are people, he's got counselors, he's got people praying for him. I'm not going to say anything because, you know, and I feel like I have a word for him or if I just want to encourage him in the Lord. It's like, I'm not going to say anything because there are a lot of qualified people. But if I find myself in the president's office, trust me, it's because either I'm in trouble or God has given me the grace to be able to speak into the president's life. Does that make sense? I was joking about being in trouble, okay? <clears throat> Wherever you find yourself, you have grace for that situation. Okay, I say this one probably three times a day. Let's do, let's do this one. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When a lion or a bear came, I killed him. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Good job, Reese. Godly confidence, okay? <laughs> Obviously, this is, this is David from 1 Samuel 17. So the recap on this story. David is the shepherd. His brothers are the warriors. They're the big boys. 
They're in this standoff, and Goliath is taunting these guys, right? We all know this story. David comes to bring meat and cheese, according to Veggie Tales, to his brothers. And he starts asking questions. He's like, what, what are you guys doing about him? Who, you know, and he starts asking all these questions about as if he could do something about it, as if he, ha- he has any sort of influence or power in the situation. And his brothers are disgusted. His brothers say, you prideful and self-centered sucker. Like, you think you can do something about this? We've, we're warriors. We've got armor. We've got swords. You ha- you've never put on armor in your life. You're a shepherd boy. You don't have any. And so the first thing is that godly confidence, which is built through history with God, Right? Because why, why is he confident, actually? It's because he's got this history with God. Like, when the lion came, when the bear came, I killed him. God delivered me from them. He knew his source of why it happened. And he says, this uncircumcised Philistine who's opposing the armies of the living God is going to be like one of them. And to him, it was no difference because he had built a foundation of history with God. And history with God is often like what godly confidence is built upon. Does that make sense? The second thing is that godly confidence to people operating in fear oftentimes will look like pride and arrogance. And this is a really sad thing, but this is something we have to deal with. You remember I said, like, the truth is here, pride is over there, godly confidence is over here, right? Did I say that right? No, sorry, sorry. Truth is here, yeah, pride over here, false humility over here, right? So would you rather be, I'm getting my directions mixed up, would you rather be crippled and silenced by fear, or would you rather be accused of pride and arrogance and be winning for the kingdom of God and building things for the kingdom of God and living life fully engaged with God because you're not afraid to show your flaws and be, accept who you are in its fullness, even though you're being accused of prideful, but you know that your source is God, so you're not actually prideful. And it's that thankfulness is the difference, okay? Awesome. Okay, hopefully we have a better understanding of the two, godly confidence and, uh, and false humility. Thank you, Drew. That was awesome. Wait, put that last one on there. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So in history, in the church, oftentimes we clothe our lack of understanding or our lack of self-appreciation in this kind of false humility. We say things like what I put on there. God, it's, it was all God. It wasn't me. God will do it whenever he's ready. And um, that's the same thought patterns. It's like, in my mind, it's like the same brain waves that actually lead you to religion. Because religion doesn't require any relationship, right? You do this and this and this, and you get a reward, right, essentially. Or you get an outcome. And it doesn't require any relationship. I don't have to have a relationship with God to come to church or to do this and this and this. Well, I don't have to have a relationship with God to believe that God is in total control and everything he wants to do, he does. That doesn't take anything on my part. But that's not the truth. God has given us immense power and authority on the earth to be able to influence and impact what's actually going on. But it would be easier for me to say, well, well, God will take care of it. So he's more powerful than me. But God has chosen from the beginning to partner with us humans, and he hasn't strayed from that. He chose to, I'm going to partner with you guys, and he hasn't, like, left that idea. He still does that every single day. It's like if he wants to do something, he doesn't ask the angels. He asks us, right? I know the angels are a part, and I don't mean to, you know, boot them out or anything. Sorry. So, in reality, we are royalty in the kingdom of heaven, right? We are called to expand and build the kingdom of God on the earth, right? But wouldn't it be easier if we lived life as a pauper or like a, kind of some kind of like a servant-minded person and all I ever do is just kind of like, I don't have any real responsibilities, I don't have any real struggles, there's not any warfare in my life because I'm not taking any ground. That would be easier, right? That would be way more convenient, at least. 
Isn't it fair to say that? But reality, we are princes and princesses with authority, and we are actually called to change what is going on here. That's harder, and that requires relationship, and that requires faith. So these truths that I'm talking about, they're only as powerful as we actually believe about ourselves. It's the truth, and you can't do anything to change that. You are a prince or a princess. You know, God has given you a lot of power and authority. But if you don't believe that about yourself, it, it's that useful. It doesn't exist. You'll never change anything unless you believe that about yourself. You know what I mean? If you believe you're a pauper, you'll live like a pauper. And we see that. How many people live in this pauper mentality and they don't ever build anything for God? They believe in God, but they don't ever actually do anything for God. And, like, they never get to their destiny. They never, like, live life fully engaged, fully alive. But it's because it's convenient. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It doesn't take faith. It doesn't take relationship. So as we can see, real humility takes great faith. I would say that the centurion... Um, that baffled Jesus with his faith, you know. He said, you know, he asked Jesus to heal his servant, and uh, he said, come to my house, or yeah, show me where your house is. And he's like, just say the word and they'll be healed. I know how authority works. I've got people above me. I've got people underneath me. And uh, I know how this works if you just say the word. And Jesus was baffled by his faith. And that's like the prime example of faith. It's like, and God said this to me. It's like, that's humility. That's humility acting itself out as like the centurion knew where he was. He knew that his source was whoever he was in charge of him. And he knew that who was underneath him. And he knew his place. And he, he played that place to the fullness. Sorry for the feedback or whatever that is. So he knew how and where his authority came from. And I think the idea of being aware and knowing your source is essential if we're going to know God. Because we have to know where we are. Like, in, you could say the food chain. Um, that's not the right word. But, you, like, where we are in the lineup. Pretending like you're at the bottom of the lineup isn't humility. That's just stupid. Because you don't have any authority. In reality, God has given us a very high place. And to play that place, to fill that role to its fullness, we have to have a lot of faith. But we have to know where our source is. Real humility knows its source. Okay, so the same way that we talk about power and authority, right, we talk about love. So the world, or actually, growing up in uh, Sunday school, we, we were taught this. First you love God, and then you love others, and then you love yourself, right? That seems humble, seems good. But in that scenario, I actually don't have anything to give away. Like, I don't have anything to give away to God or you guys or myself because I don't have anything. So it's, it's, it's like this. First we have to receive God's love. And then we have to become God's love and internalize it. Then I have a valuable gift that I can give you guys. Or that you have a valuable gift that you can give the world. But if you say this, I love God and then I love others and then I have, I have enough for myself left over. You actually don't have anything for anybody because you haven't received God's love. And I, I think I forgot it, but I have this check, totally fake. I wrote out from God to McCoby for $100,000. I could give that check to Reese, okay, legally, there's nothing he can do with that check, right? It's $100,000. For me, it's a, a, an enormous gift, right? But for Reese, it's literally, it's, it's worthless unless Reese is like on the black market, you know what I mean? Well, let's assume he's not for this sake. If I give Reese a $100,000 check made out to me from God, signed, dated, everything, that check is worthless to him. But I say, you know what, Reese, I'm supposed to love myself before I love you. I'm going to give you the check and I'm just going to love it. I'm going to put you before myself. I got this from God. It's for you. Reese can't do anything with that check except sell it on the black market. Hopefully he won't. 
we have to internalize God's love for us. I have to put the money in my account and actually like internalize it. If I can do that, if I can receive God's love for me and then I can internalize it, then I have a valuable gift to give to you, to God, and to myself, right? And it's not until we internalize it that I can actually have anything to give away. And it's the same way with, with you know, laying your life down for your brother or counting others more valuable than yourself. These are some of the verses that the people that had those horrible articles about love Loving yourself said is put your brother above yourself, basically. If I, if I have a good relationship with God, if Satan can't stop me from having a good relationship with God, but he can stop me from giving, having a good relationship with myself, he has effectively silenced and crippled me from actually doing anything except for going to heaven. You know what I mean? If I have a great relationship with God, and obviously they're kind of connected, so you can't really say that, but say, I believe in God. I believe in God. And Satan failed to stop me from believing in God. But if Satan can stop me from believing in myself, he won. You know, and I get to go to heaven at the end of my life, but he wins. Because I don't, I don't affect change in the world. I don't have anything to give away. If I don't believe in myself, I don't have anything to give away. And I don't have anything to give you. I don't have, I don't have anything to give to believe in you guys. You know what I mean? We are called to put our brothers above ourselves and count others more valuable than ourselves. But if I don't value myself, I don't have a standard for how to value you. You know what I mean? If I, if I don't believe in myself, I don't have what it takes to actually believe in you because I'm always thinking about not believing in myself. Self-centeredness is like this cycle of like, I want to give to you, but I don't have anything. It's like, I have to put my eyes, like, how am I, how's my relationship with myself? If Satan can stop me from believing in myself, then he stopped me from believing in you. And we're called to serve others and give our life for others. But if I can't see the greatness in me, I don't have what it takes to see the greatness in you and serve that. Does that make sense? If I haven't received greatness for myself and see that, I haven't received it for you. I don't have anything valuable to give to you, and in, in, even in like laying my life down for you. So we have to know that we're valuable. We have to internalize God's love, God's, God's identity for us, internalize it, and think those thoughts about ourselves and believe that stuff, and then we have something that we can give away to the world. Satan may not be able to stop you from believing in God, but if he can stop you from believing in yourself, he has won. We have to equip ourselves in believing in others and loving others by believing in ourselves and loving ourselves. Okay, I want to end with the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Will you guys go to Daniel 4, 36 and 37? I'm going to give a preface of kind of what's going on in this story, okay? So after the fiery furnace that Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he uh, opposed God and... God obviously showed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar is praising God, right? He's, he's in favor of God. And then he had a second dream. And there was this tree. And its roots were deep. And animals fed off of the fruit of it. And the birds of the air had nests in it. And it was this amazing tree of life. It was like a metropolis. And, and like this ecosystem of life was around this tree. And then a, a holy one came down and it chopped the tree down at its root. Or sorry, at, as a stump. So now the tree is like a stump, and the animals are gone, the birds are gone, everything's gone. It looks like death. So Nebuchadnezzar is like, you know, that's not good. Daniel, what does this mean? And Daniel says, may this be about your enemies, but that's you. The tree is you. You have built this kingdom that is in support of many other kingdoms. People live, you know, it's like this metropolis. It thrives. There's businesses. There's all these things, and you are the tree. But God is going to chop you down, basically. And Daniel doesn't want him to. Daniel is very loving and, and kind towards Nebuchadnezzar. And so about a year goes by, and Nebuchadnezzar, I think, probably takes the advice and probably 
humbles himself. Daniel says, like, hey, if you humble yourself and you have mercy, you show mercy, maybe God will relent. So that's the hope. And so about a year later, Nebuchadnezzar is standing on his rooftop, and he looks out, and I imagine he's got this, like, million-dollar view, you know. He sees his kingdom. He sees all the things he built for himself, and he says a statement, a selfish, prideful statement. He says, look at this city. Look at this amazing stuff that I built for myself, that I built for myself. And while the words were still in his mouth, the voice of the Lord comes, and he, his reason leaves him. So he's crazy now. He lives like a beast, an animal, and the dream comes true. He lives like an animal for seven years. He, the Bible says he has hair like eagle's feathers, and he's got claws like an animal, and he's like living like just a totally desolate person, living off like how desolate people live, like an animal. And on the seventh year, and that picks up here, at the same time, so after seven years, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me, my counselors, my lords sought me, and it was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. How many of you are like, whoa, maybe you need to go back to being an animal for seven more years? Because, like, maybe you didn't quite, quite learn your lesson. At the same time my reason returned to me, after he just got humbled for seven years living like an animal, and he says this, and, for the, and this is Nebuchadnezzar's journal, like this is his personal journal, he wrote this. At this time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and my splendor returned to me, my counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Let's go to the next one. Oh, okay, verse 37. Sorry. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and faithful and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in self-centeredness or pride. So, but wait, are you humble or are you still prideful? Because that looks to me like pride and self-centeredness, right? There's a lot of me's, there's a lot of I in there. There's a lot of glory and splendor and words like that. But then he says, I praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and faithful and his ways are just. And he's able to humiliate and humble those who walk in self-centeredness and pride. I think that this is a great way for us to see how God looks at this stuff. So me having glory and splendor and honor and greatness and people seeking me and having many things and having businesses or whatever it is that you desire, that's not what makes you prideful. According to this. Still more greatness. God added more greatness to Nebuchadnezzar. The guy doesn't need any more greatness, God. Like, stop. Splendor, majesty, glory, my counselors, my lords. But it's not pride because he knew his source. He says, I honor the king of heaven. He's able to do this and he's able to do this. I honor the king of heaven. And so you might get, if you stand here, like Nebuchadnezzar was standing here in the middle during that sentence, Somebody that's walking in fear and insecurity is going to look at that all day long and say, you prideful, self-centered, you know, like that is so prideful. That is so self-centered. You are all about yourself. But I'd rather be being accused of being prideful and confident in my God and fully alive with God, confident in my relationship and my history with God and be accused of being prideful than be crippled and silenced and not do anything for the Lord, not build the kingdom of God, not add anything to the kingdom of God. Because if you operate in fear, it's the wrong kingdom. You can't do that stuff. You know what I mean? And so I think as a, as, a, as a body, and I'm not talking about this body, but as like a church in America, we have really, 
like we're both sides, but it's like we need to like really settle here in the middle of like my desires often are from the Lord. I know we have like fleshly desires as well, but the desires of my heart, greatness, the desire for greatness is from God. How many of us when we're kids, we say, I want to be a mediocre something. You know, somebody walk around in like a, like a prisoner outfit, like as a kid on Halloween, a prisoner outfit, picking up trash on the highway. It's like, no, and, I lo- and I'm not disrespecting anybody because obviously we're all on a journey and Lord knows that I've been on my journey. But we, when we're children, we, we know that we are called for greatness. We know that we are created to do a thing, that I'm, f- I'm God's first choice to do this thing. And, and if I don't do it, he's got to settle. If I don't step up and say yes to God, he has to settle with, with an Aaron. And maybe, I don't know, we'll never know, but maybe Pharaoh would have relented earlier in the line if it was Moses instead of Aaron. We don't know. We never will. But maybe Moses would have relented earlier and his firstborn son didn't have to die. If God, if Moses would have said yes to God finally after the third time and all the things happened, maybe, maybe Pharaoh wouldn't have had to lose his son. Maybe they wouldn't have followed him into the desert. And so, like, the whole army dies. I don't know. And, like, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying it's a possibility. We don't know. We don't know what happens whenever we say no to God and he has to go with somebody else. We are the first choice. You are the first choice for a thing. And so I just want to encourage you to do that thing. Say yes to God. Don't worry about your, your, the areas where you struggle. He wants, to, he wants you to live amazing lives filled with glory and majesty and splendor and greatness. And that's a humble statement. God wants, to, wants us to live amazing lives filled with glory, with majesty, with splendor, and with greatness. Even if we get accused of being prideful. And obviously it's important to keep our brothers in mind. Like we are called, even in that, even in this, I'm called to consider you greater than myself. But at that point, how great do I have to consider you? Pretty dang great. Would you rather be considered, like, would you rather, okay, so say there's somebody here who doesn't value themselves, has no self-respect, has no future, has no drive, and then there's, like, somebody else over here who's, like, very driven, thinks they're amazing, believes everything God says about them. Who would you rather be put, uh, like, over? You know what I mean? Because, like, this guy, you don't have to be very high to get valued above him. But this guy, you've got to be put very high. If he comes to you and he says, hey, I feel like I'm called to serve you for this period of time, it's like, that's amazing because you're amazing. And that's an even greater gift. So, we have to remember that our source is God, okay? That's the, and thankfulness, you know, humility, sorry, um, pride and thankfulness don't work together, so thankfulness. So, I just want us to kind of spend some time, maybe this week or um, later today, just kind of analyze your own self-relationship. How do you view yourself? What, do you, what thoughts do you think about yourself? You know, what is, what is your relationship with yourself like? Do you believe what God says? externally, but internally, you actually operate out of fear, because you may not be doing very much. You might actually be crippled, and I don't mean that harshly, but if you're not moving and you're not going anywhere, sometimes God says it's time. You know, it's time to move. It's time to go. It's time to build. So not always, whenever we're not moving, is it, you know, disobedience, but sometimes it is. So I have this prayer. Will you guys stand up with me? I'm sorry that I went a little bit over. Chad, that was really nice. Thank you for saying that. Okay, um, I have this prayer that I wrote. Um, if you don't want to participate, no pressure at all. You know, if you don't feel like you struggle with this or you have thoughts, like if you feel like you value yourself appropriately, then you're totally, um, you have my permission to ignore this. But for those of us who um, 
we need to kind of reevaluate, realign ourselves with the way God thinks about us and like what is greatness? I'm called to be great. What does that look like? So if you need like kind of God to help you realign yourself with that vision for your life, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to say a sentence and then if you want, you can repeat after me, okay? It's like a sentence of uh, repentance. Sorry, it's a prayer of repentance and um, realignment with God and how he views us, okay? So again, feel free not to participate, but here we go. God, I forgive myself. And I ask for forgiveness for any thoughts I have towards myself that don't align with your thoughts toward me. I'm sorry for scoffing at what you call beautiful. I'm sorry for rejecting what you have joyfully accepted. I'm sorry for treating with contempt what you call precious. I don't want to believe lies anymore in my thoughts or in my actions. Lord, if I am crippled or silenced, I receive your freedom right now to live fully engaged with you. With the world and with myself. Lord, will you give me your mind, the mind of Christ. I repent for my misalignment. And right now, I align my heart with yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You, you did it. You lasted. I love you. Amen. All right, we will see you guys next week, Sunday, Vision Sunday. Be here. Grab your friends and family. It's going to be awesome. If you need prayer, if you need additional prayer for healing or whatnot, come find us. We'd love to pray for you.